Illinois lawmakers are back in Springfield for the next two weeks for the fall veto session. Legislators will take this time to review any vetoes from Governor Pritzker and continue working on new or existing legislation. There are a few big items on the docket for state lawmakers, from nuclear reactors to school vouchers to electrical transmissions. And with us now to give us a preview from Springfield is our colleague Alex Stegman, State House reporter for WBEZ. Hey, Alex. Hi. So before we get into the legislation that's being considered in the next couple of days, just bring us all up to speed. What is the veto session? Well, I mean, you basically covered it. It's just a regular function of the legislative year. They've got uh, two scheduled times to be in every calendar year, a few months in the spring and a couple of weeks every fall. Uh, They also do a lame duck session in January once every couple of years. How often do, uh, do they meet for veto sessions? They meet once a year for two weeks, usually sometime in the fall. So tell us about the types of veto power that the governor has. Well, there are a few. Uh, There's a total veto. That means that the whole thing is struck. He didn't like any of it. There's an amendatory veto where he changes parts of it. And then there's a line item veto. That's when he alters spending in like a in an appropriations bill or something like that. Now, he signs the majority of bills that he gets on his desk. And if he doesn't like it at all or if he thinks there's no way to salvage the bill, he'll issue a total veto. I see. So walk us through the process of of a bill getting vetoed and then what happens next? What does it take to, to override his veto as well? Yeah, so the governor typically takes action on a bunch of bills all at once, and we'll find out which of them he signed and which of them he's vetoed along with why in his veto message. And once that happens, it's going to go back to lawmakers where they will either let the veto stand mm-hmm. or they'll try to override him. And that takes uh, that takes a supermajority of votes. So in the House right now, that is uh, 71. And then in the Senate, that's 36 votes. And usually uh, this is a little bit different because usually to pass a bill the first time, it only takes a simple majority. So fewer votes than that. Now, If lawmakers don't act on the veto at all, Mm -hmm. uh, it it depends on what kind it is. If it's total, if it's total veto, the bill is dead and the veto stands. It doesn't go into effect at all. There's no law. If it's a mandatory and they take no action, the bill becomes law with the changes that the governor wanted. And that's the same with a line item. If they do nothing with that, the measure goes into effect with the spending changes that he wanted. I see. Now, we know that yesterday was the start of this veto session. So, Tell us what that looks like. What typically happens on day one? You know, I got to be careful how I couch this because depending on who's listening, I might get in trouble. But it seems like the the first the first day of the veto session, it seems like there's usually not a whole lot of action, but there's a lot of drama, I guess I could say, because for me as a political reporter, it's kind of fun the first day of veto because I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's going on where what changes are getting dropped now. But taking it uh, taking a look back from a holistic point of view like really nothing rises to the level of a story per se so like i'm sitting here reading literal lines in the amendment trying to figure out where they go and to me that's exciting but that's a lot of what the first day is like we're trying to figure out what's happening and we're trying to figure out um you know what actually is going to come up over the next two weeks oh i see i see and so there's a pattern here right legislators are going to meet in two three-day periods so yesterday today and tomorrow And then from Tuesday, November 7th to Thursday, November 9th. Why do they do it this way? 
Um, well, to, and to be honest, I'm not really sure why they don't just go two weeks straight through. I'm not really sure why there's the week in between. There's probably some historical uh, tidbit to that that I'm not privy to. But really, uh, they meet for two weeks because uh, it takes a while to do things in Springfield. Even when they have their minds set to stuff, it usually takes uh, more than a day or two to either uh, draft amendments because there are posting requirements and things like that, too. So just generally speaking, they need at least a couple of weeks to go through the process and get done what they need to get done. So let's um, get a preview here of, of what's on deck for the next couple of weeks. First up, I want to talk about nuclear reactors. What's that about? Sure. So the state's had a moratorium on building nuclear reactors since the late 80s. And if you remember 1986, 1987, nuclear mania was pretty bad. I mean, you had some accidents in, in recent decades. You had Three Mile Island, you had Chernobyl. People just weren't feeling it. So fast forward a few decades to where we are now, and we have Illinois under a mandate to move away from fossil fuels like coal and natural gas and like so-called uh, dirty sources of power. Um, but you can't replace all of that infrastructure entirely by wind, solar, geothermal. You, you just can't do it. So lawmakers introduced a bill that would let the, that would let the state explore uh, what they're calling small modular reactors. And the way that it was described to me is something that's pretty small. It can generate about 350 megawatts of electricity and in some cases could be used at existing power facilities as, uh, I, I guess, as some kind of a supplement. I see. Um the governor vetoed this bill back in August, right? So what was the concern? At the end of the spring session, a change was made to the bill that would have let so-called advanced nuclear reactors into the picture, not just the small modular ones, but advanced nuclear reactors. And Governor Pritzker saw that and he thought the definition was too vague. And that could open the door to something that he's not comfortable with, like perhaps some of the larger nuclear plants that we already have in the state. You know, it, there, there was just not enough in the bill to satisfy him. So he also uh, didn't think that the original bill didn't have enough health and safety protections for people who might live near those new campuses should they come to fruition. Let's turn to another veto, Alex. Uh, in this case, this is a partial veto of an energy measure building new transmission lines. So what do we need to know about this one? Yeah, there's a big push to increase transmission capacity, especially downstate, as more clean energy sources come online. And Amron, which is the uh, power utility that handles gas and electric for a lot of downstate Illinois, myself included, um, wanted first crack at any new project through what's called a right of first refusal agreement. Now, this was only a partial veto because this portion was added onto a larger energy bill that did a few unrelated things. So the governor left that intact, but vetoed that portion of it. People who want to see this are the labor unions. This was really a labor union initiative. And their thought, along with Amron, is that if the work goes to local unions, that's supporting good paying Illinois jobs. It's going to stay here. Mm -hmm. And Amron, being the regulated monopoly it is, is regulated. That's the big part of it. So any profits they make through this are subject to IC, or the Illinois Commerce Commission. Uh, they're, they're subject to state lawmaker oversight and things like that. So, But obviously, Illinois has had somewhat of a history with dealing with utility companies and legislation. And a lot of folks kind of saw this and a red flag was raised saying, is this a backroom deal? Uh -huh. Kind of like what we saw with ComEd. So, so we're clear, who are we seeing support and not support the, the governor's veto of this bill? 
the labor unions in Ameren are against are against this veto because they think that um, obviously the right of first refusal is going to prevent cost overruns. It's going to be better overall. But then the people who are in favor of the veto are some of the environmental groups and some of the uh, Governor Pritzker's more progressive supporters who all agree with him that this opens the door to potentially dangerous situations for people who might live near these reactors and they think more research is needed. Now, Alex, there are a couple of other topics that might come up during the session that you wrote about in your piece that's on WBEZ.org right now. Uh, you listed the Karina's Bill, uh, Invest in Kids program, and a legislative staffers union. Uh, let's start with Karina's Bill. It's named after Karina Gonzalez, and uh, she was killed along with her daughter by her husband back in July. So tell us what the bill is aiming to do. Right. Karina Gonzalez was killed by her husband two weeks after reporting that he was abusing her and she was granted an order of protection by police. But her husband was still in the house and he still had access to his firearms. So this bill makes clear that if there is an order of protection that's been granted, Illinois State Police are responsible for going in and making sure that the firearms uh, are confiscated from the person who's the subject of that order of protection. Now, under current law, firearms can just be transferred to another FOID card holder, another firearm owner's ID card holder, even if they live in the same household. So that's the issue that they're really trying to fix with that. I see. How about the Invest in Kids program? What should we know about that? The Invest in Kids program was started during Governor Bruce Rauner's tenure, and basically it allows people to get income tax credits for donating to what are called uh, scholarship granting organizations. And essentially, if you donate to the scholarship granting organizations, you get an income tax credit, and then the SGOs then turn around and offer scholarships uh, up to $75 million per year mm -hmm. for students to go to a private school of their choice. It can be just a run-of-the-mill private school, parochial school, uh, etc. Um, that was supposed to expire, but lawmakers extended it in 2021. It's about to expire again. And there has been a lot of back and forth, not just uh, in recent months, but all throughout the session when people knew that this was going to expire. Are we going to extend it? Are we going to pass a new bill to change it? So what's going to happen? So what has happened now is there is a new bill. Mm -hmm. There is a new measure that would change slightly how Invest in Kids operates. It would provide uh, fewer income tax credits to people who donate and, and would also make less money available for students. They would lower the total to about $50 million from 75. And for some folks, particularly people who want it extended as is and permanently, uh, this is a non-starter because they are reducing the they're reducing the number of scholarships available and they're reducing the income tax credit that's available. So the, the governor, I mean, he once said this was a bad idea, right? He did. He he once said this was a bad idea. And then most recently he has changed his tune to say, if lawmakers send me a bill, I will support it. So I, I don't really know how much different you can get than that. But I I guess I'll take him at his word this time. If this uh, bill that was just introduced yesterday mm -hmm. gets through, I imagine we may see him sign it. That was a complete change of heart there. Mm hmm. So I want to also talk about an effort to unionize among legislative staffers. I understand that some folks working in House Speaker Emmanuel uh, Chris Welch's office, they've been trying to unionize for at least the past year. So give us some of the reasons that they're saying we want to form a union. Most of the people that I talk to about this are very clear that they are working in their jobs because they want to. They really enjoy what they do for the legislature, but the working conditions are untenable. I mean, we're talking 
uh, comp time that only gives them uh, that, 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 that it, it's not it's not a one to one comp. It's um, uh, it's working conditions that are exceeding what they expected. It's pay that's not commensurate with the work they do. It's it's a lot of things. So they tried to get Speaker Welch to voluntarily recognize their union starting back in December. But after a lot of back and forth, uh, Speaker Welch finally introduced a measure that would let not only these employees, but all legislative employees throughout the Capitol complex and in district offices uh, unionize, too. We're talking legislative staffers, uh, mailroom clerks, custodial staff and things like that. And uh, there is some back and forth going on now about changes that need to be made to that bill. Now, there's a bill that that might be able to do that for them, too, right? House Bill 4148? Right. And that that measure was one of the first things that got a committee hearing yesterday. In fact, uh, it it was the only thing that got a committee hearing yesterday. And after a couple of hours of testimony from both uh, from labor experts, from law professors, from staffers in Speaker Welch's office who sat right next to him and told him exactly what they thought was wrong with the bill, there was an amendment after all of that. There was an amendment that's dropped. And actually, before we came on the air, that's what I was talking about. I'm reading through lines. It feels yeah. like I'm, re- I'm reading through lines of code oh, to boy. see to see what the changes are. All right. Well, leave us with this. What are some of the, the biggest things then that you're going to be watching for during this session? Well, I mean, there is, there are no shortage of things that could come up. I mean, we could see it, the, the, the best thing about veto session or maybe the worst thing is that I can go into a day with a plan and then by noon it's all completely gone. So I think one of the things that I'm going to be looking for today is uh, there's a pretty big rally happening about um, – the subminimum wage for people who have uh, developmental disabilities. Right now, there's a push to make sure that people with developmental disabilities get the actual minimum wage, whether that's $13 an hour in Illinois or 15 plus in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And there's a rally to support that. And it came a few hours after a press conference saying that this isn't a good idea. So we're starting to see people come back and we're starting to see people make their voices heard. And I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic for the next couple of weeks. We'll leave it there. We've been talking with WBEZ State House reporter Alex Degman. He's in Springfield right now covering the legislative veto session. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you.